Hello and welcome to the Arise and Build podcast. This is Jody Grace and we're here to inspire, educate, and activate believers in Missouri to steward and protect freedom in every area of life, especially here in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about what's happening right here in our culture, how it connects to scripture, and what we can do to bring our conservative Christian values back into the public square. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead, hit the subscribe button so you can get our updates and join us as we work together, just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did, to arise and build a wall around the great state of Missouri. Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for joining me again on the Arise and Build podcast. Today we're going to keep talking about Nehemiah. We've been here for several days and we're going to be here for several more. But today's actually one of my very most favorite parts of this story because it talks about how Nehemiah's prayer was answered. And not only was it just answered, but it was answered in a miraculous way. And I think that this part of the story should bring us so much hope that um, we would understand that God can do anything with anybody and he can provide and supply your need and our need, whether it's a personal need or the need of a state or even a nation. So in Nehemiah chapter two, we talked about yesterday that Nehemiah used a moment in time. He took a moment in time after the king had asked him a question. The king wanted to know what was Nehemiah's request. And just after that, Nehemiah took a moment to pray and listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so Nehemiah's response after he heard from the Lord was to say that, If he had found favor with the king, please send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, so that I can rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river that they would allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. So he's asking the king to provide a path that he would have permission from the other governors to cross over their land and that he wouldn't have a problem in his journey to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. Now, this is a request not only for safety, but for provision. Nehemiah was actually asking the king, would you pay for my trip? Would you provide the supplies so that when I get there, I can do the job that God's called me to do. Now, keep in mind, this is a pagan king. They weren't um, as cruel to the Israelites as the Babylonians, but they were not believers either. They didn't worship God, the, the God of the Israelites. So this is a pagan king, and he's asking the king not only to make a a safe, clear path 
for him to get from point A to point B, but also to provide him with the supplies to do the job when he gets there. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Nehemiah's prayer was answered. Every part of his prayer was answered. The request for the provision and the safety was answered. And Nehemiah realized that his favor with the king was God's provision and God's blessing. He recognized that this was not a normal occurrence and that it was a divine answer to his prayer. And I am so thankful for that. I am so thankful that Nehemiah shows us just even in these, this first, the first chapter and the half of the second, that when we are doing the things we're supposed to be doing now, Nehemiah didn't just pray a simple prayer and get this big answer. And, you know, who's to say if God would have answered it that way, even if that's how Nehemiah had prayed, but it isn't how Nehemiah prayed. We can see in the first chapter that he fasted and prayed. He was weeping and mourning for his people day and night. He, he went to um, the extreme measure of fasting and praying day and night. And then we see how he prayed. He was diligent in his prayers. He was spending time alone with the Lord. He was spending time in what we would call our prayer closet and dedicating time, making it a priority in his life to do that. And then when the moment came, when the opportunity, the door was opened that he could make the request of the king, he prayed again, even in that moment for direction. And when he did, God answered in a miraculous way. God gave him exactly what he needed, exactly what he was being called to do. And it was supplied by a pagan king. Incredible, miraculous story. That gives me hope that helps me realize and remember that regardless who is in our seats of authority, regardless who is the speaker of our house of representatives or who is our governor or who is our president, those are all important positions. Of course, I want godly men in those positions, but it is not a new thing that the people of God are having to deal with pagan leaders. And even in those situations, we have hope and our God is in control. So I'm so thankful. I hope that's an encouraging uh, word for you today. And as we shift gears now and start thinking about the government uh, topics that we've been talking about, this week we've been talking about the rules of the House and the Speaker of the House, how the Speaker of the House is elected and, you know, the Senate has uh, the same type of problem. It's a process problem. And that's what I really want to talk about today is, you know, we can talk about votes. I like to talk about votes. I do believe that our elected officials need to be held accountable for their votes. But I would also tell you that one particular vote doesn't tell the whole story of the bill. It doesn't tell you everything you need to know to make a judgment about any one particular legislator. And the votes are oftentimes very difficult for our legislators who are trying, even for our conservative legislators who are 
really trying to do the best they can for the people. They are put in very difficult positions. They are oftentimes given bills to vote on at the last minute, bills they haven't had time to read. Um, It is, and we're going to, we'll talk about this more, but it is most of the time the process of our General Assembly that they do a lot of negotiating and game playing for the majority of the session, but the bills actually pass. They don't actually pass until the last two weeks of session, most of them. In 2023, uh, there were 65 bills total that passed. 20 of those were budget bills, and they are, they are required to pass by Constitution on a specific date. So all of the budget bills did pass according to the Constitution, the date it was required. Of course, they still waited till the last minute and just passed them on that day. But uh, so those pass earlier in the session. The rest of them, though, uh, the other 40, I believe there were, um, one of them passed earlier in session, but the rest of the other 39, the balance of the bills passed in the last two weeks, 14 of them on the last day. So our legislators are often in situations where at the last part of the session, the last two weeks, they will drop what's called a Senate substitute or a House substitute. And what they do is they cram a lot of bills together in an, in one, into one, what's created, what we call an omnibus bill. And oftentimes our legislators aren't given time to read them before they have to vote. And this puts our legislators in a really difficult situation. Um, And it puts them in a situation where there's so much stuff in the bill, it doesn't matter how they vote, they could vote yes or no, and it's still a bad vote. Because there are things in the bill, let's, uh, for example, say that there are five good things in the bill that they want to pass, and there are three or four bad things in the bill that we think Uh, probably shouldn't pass. Well, if you vote no, you're voting no on all the good things. And if you vote yes, you're voting yes on the bad things. So they really do find themselves in a predicament. And I can appreciate that. I have um, empathy for that. I empathize with their situation. But the bottom line is they are the ones who control the process itself. Now, And in regard to omnibus bills or multi-subject bills, we could have potentially an omnibus bill that doesn't necessarily have multi-subjects, but the multi-subject bills are actually not constitutional. They shouldn't be passing them in the first place. And there is some debate around that issue, what is considered multi-subject or not, but I believe the heart of our forefathers, the intent of the Constitution is that the legislation that passes would be simple enough that you're voting basically on one issue instead of being put in these situations where everything's crammed all together and you're having to vote yes on things you don't agree with. And that is a very regular occurrence, both in the House and in the Senate, here in the state of Missouri, it's really no different than uh, what what was happening in the House with Nancy Pelosi. 
um, you know, this idea that, well, let's pass it and we'll read it and deal with it later. And if we mess something up, we can fix it. Well, that doesn't usually happen. It doesn't usually get fixed. And um, the process really is the biggest problem we have. And the process is dictated by the rules and it's dictated by leadership. So if we don't have leadership who will honor the constitution, if we don't have a governor who will honor the constitution, then we have a problem, a bigger problem than just one bill or one vote. Um, it's much bigger than just one or two pieces of legislation. This has been going on for a long time. And so our legislators feel like this is just the way it works. That's just what we do. And I am of the opinion that it may have been what has been done, but it needs to change. It can change. And we need to find legislators who have the courage enough to stand up and fight for what's right. And if that means they don't get their legislation passed, then I really don't care. Because the truth is they're not passing good legislation in the first place. None of our conservative legislation here in the state of Missouri is actually getting through. Leadership is passing very moderate, very left-leaning. Uh, they're passing legislation that actually uh, gives away a lot of our state sovereignty in, in different situations. They're, they're just passing things that are ridiculous, in my opinion. And those bills are coming from very moderate Republicans and even Democrats. And at some point, I will release, I will publish and show you what the votes look like and I'll try to explain what's happening. Um, but the bottom line is we have a process problem. The process needs to be changed. But in order for it to be changed, we have to have representatives and senators who are willing to make the change, who are willing to stand up even if their own legislation doesn't pass and say, I don't care. I don't even care if I file legislation or if I don't. My purpose here is to work toward changing the process and ensuring a better future for freedom and the state of Missouri. And until we have legislators that are willing to stand and stand together, legislators who can trust each other in the battle, uh, we are going to struggle and we are going to continue to wonder why is it that we have a supermajority and we don't see Republican type things happening? Well, I believe this is a big part of the reason. The process is the problem and we need our legislators themselves to fix the process. They can and they should. And so I would say to you that it's time to start having conversations with your elected officials about the process. And it's time for you to start asking those types of questions to the candidates that you will see in 2024. Every single representative um, who's elected in 2024 will be able to vote on the rules and a new speaker in 2025. So one of the questions that you should be posing to a candidate is, are you willing to do the research and learn the rules, learn about the rules, learn the history of the rules, and learn the power that you will have to change the rules? And will you work toward a change so that 
all of the representatives' voices are more equally heard, and that means that the people are more equally represented. I believe that's something you can start doing today and something that you can keep in mind as campaign season unfolds. It's really important. It's probably the most important thing that we could do for freedom in the state of Missouri is to change the process. So thank you for joining me. I'll be back again on Monday. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you soon. God bless you. Hey, thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you found it beneficial and valuable. I'd really encourage you in the next few days to pick up your Bible and grab the practical tools you need to arise and build. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the blog at jodygrace.com. I'll see you soon.